It's time to build your own KU. Your own KU. I'm not talking about some brand new magical program that'll pay authors a higher rate. I'm talking about you having your readers subscribe directly to you. That's what Subscriptions for Authors is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. And today, I want to do a special edition focused on specifically how KU authors can make use of subscriptions. But before we even get to the how, I want to talk about the why. And in the end, in the end, we're going to have a very special Q&A that some amazing authors in the Facebook group asked us some questions. So we're going to be answering those. And a lot of those questions are focused on some beginner early entry stuff about subscriptions, which is great because if you're listening to this and you're a KU author and you were sent this by an author friend who's like, hey, you got to go listen to this guy who is in his room at midnight and he's recording this podcast because he's hyped up. And I'm hyped up about the opportunity that you have, the opportunity that we have. But it first comes the change in mindset with an understanding that storytellers rule the world. Those four words, take it to heart. That is what this is about. It's about one simple truth. That authors are more powerful than platforms and publishers. And we've been told otherwise. And in this age of new technologies and new ways in publishing, people might even feel like that's slowly slipping away. But I'll tell you this. Storytellers rule the world. We still do. We always will, and authors are the ones with power in this industry. But why? Why then do we see our KU page read rate dropping? Why do we see that when you account inflation into the picture, that when compared to 2015, on average, authors are making about 30% to sometimes even in worse months, 40% less in KU adjusted for inflation? Why? Honestly, I don't know if I care. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because in reality, the decisions that Amazon makes, that page read, are they taking more from the pot? Are there more readers reading? We have no idea. Anyone who tells you why the rate goes up and down is speculating. They don't tell us. We don't know. We don't have that data. But we can change that. We can change that. You can change that. Here's the deal. Systems are so important. Who owns that system? Who has control of that system? Who that system's for? And on Amazon, you build the brand of Amazon. Readers don't subscribe to you. They subscribe to KU. And those are two very different things, even though they both have you in it. And at the end of the day, when readers subscribe to KU, they're building the brand of Amazon. They're building brand equity in Amazon. That's going on to Amazon's balance sheet. And they pay you out. And you know what? It's not the best deal in the world, but it's far from the worst deal. But what we're seeing now is increasingly it can't be the only deal. Because for many, many authors, you'd have to magically be generating either 40% more content in a year or have a 40% larger readership to just be staying afloat since the beginning of the KU program. And Obviously, a lot more authors have entered the market. A lot more readers have entered the market. And it's easier said than done to grow your readership by 40%. And we all know 
that we have to do what we can to take control of the situation. So many of us then think wide is the answer, and I'm not suggesting that wide isn't the answer. Going wide across different retailers might be the answer for you, but here's where I'm going to link to one of many resources I'm going to share with you, all completely free resources, that if you're trying to get into this mindset of storytellers of the world and you owning your own platform as an author and why this is important and how you can do it, then I'm going to link to some great articles. And this one that I'm going to refer to here and share with you the big takeaway is KU versus wide is a false debate. Okay. And in that article, KU versus wide is a false debate. I talk about how our relationship with these discovery platforms really is one primary thing, distribution. I mean, if, if KU didn't have the promise of potentially helping you find new readers, then why would you spend tons of Facebook ad money and Amazon ad money driving readers to your page? You're only doing that in hopes, not only that they'll keep reading your books, but you're driving them specifically to a page on Amazon because the promise that that algorithm through their also bots and all their different other algorithmic discovery mechanisms will give you new readers. That is the promise of Amazon. That is also the promise of going wide, that wide can help you reach different types of audiences and different readers that also, at the end of the day, could net-net increase your distribution. The trick is that depending on your genre and depending on where things are at right now, although KU is increasingly becoming a harder deal for authors, for readers, the discovery side of the market, it's still a pretty darn good deal. And a lot of readers are still you know, very much entrenched in KU. So for a lot of authors, when this whole conversation comes up of, you know, well, page read rate drops, I guess I'm leaving it, you know, go wide. A lot of authors are rightfully so being like, I don't know if I can. I have 80% of my income coming from KU. Some authors have half. That's a lot to just risk by going wide. Now you can build that back up. You could potentially. But it's a risk. And at the end of the day, it's not helping you make more money, right? We want to help you make more money tomorrow because next month, you don't know what that page read rate is going to be like. You don't know what discovery on the Y retailers are going to be like. It's all an up and down game. That's what this industry is. How can we help you have something more sustainable? How can we help you build your own subscription? I think you're probably starting to get a little bit of the why. Probably. It's probably coming out, but we're not, we're not done yet. I still want to share more, but I want to go back to my story because now we're seven minutes into this podcast. And if you got sent this by a friend, you're probably thinking, who is this guy talking to me? And I want to think first about you and you ask a question that's reflective, which is why do you write? Why do you write? You know, we're talking about making money from our writing, which we all deserve to make a great income from our writing. That's something that your work has value. Your stories are invaluable to the world. Storytellers for the world. But at the same time, there's a lot of industries that you could go into and make an easier buck, right? There's a lot of different things you could do. You're probably writing stories because you love it. But why? For me, my why comes back to me actually being obsessed with science videos on YouTube. SciShow is the particular YouTube channel. And it got me thinking about the future. And I've always been so fascinated, enamored by the future and where the world was going. It was this like positive escape where I may have been unsettled by the present, but I was able to feel like just so excited about what was to come, but also scared, also scared. And 
when my parents, um, they got divorced uh, when I was younger and I found out my dad, um, he, he had addiction issues growing up and I didn't know about it. So when I found out about that and I found out that my relationship with him wasn't exactly what I thought it was, I really went into a hard place. I was just becoming a teenager and I was just trying to figure myself out. And for me, writing was my therapy. Writing was how I processed those emotions in a space that felt safe to me. And writing was how I gave myself hope. That's why I write. And that's also why I read. And after writing, you know, one book turned into two. Eventually I realized, man, I guess I am a writer. I've always liked writing, but maybe I'm, this is what I do. I'm an author. I'm a storyteller. I can actually do this. And I started to feel that confidence. And then I got into the publishing industry. But I'll tell you something that happened when I got into the publishing industry, when I started publishing. Because publishing and authoring are very connected, but they're also distinct activities. Uh, you know, They've got a lot of overlap, but they've got some differences. When I started getting into the business of being an author, not just the process of being an author, it messed with my head. It messed with my head. So for me, it was very hard to imagine the, the long game of it because it felt like these discovery platforms and publishers the promise was really this short-term game it was never you get the publishing deal and then you know it'll be small and the next one will be small too and then it'll grow a little bit then a little bit and then eventually you're going to be making full-time income it's like where's that six-figure advance where where's where's that thousand ranking in the amazon store top of the category that's what we're shooting for that's what we feel that's because this industry has a brutal, brutal economics to it, which is that the top players, the top dogs, the people at the top of the store are making the vast majority of income. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. We can use this to your advantage when building your own subscription, when building your own KU. But as someone just getting started, it's a little intimidating. It's like, oh. I don't have even one reader except for maybe my grandma. Shout out, uh, grandma. I rest rest in peace. But that's um, yeah. Like what? Like it's it's tough to approach it, but it's also exciting because you can do it. New authors break in all the time. The world needs new voices. They're just always looking for new books. So you set off. But in that process, in that process, for me. For me, my personal story is that I got so caught up in these algorithms. I got so caught up in the promise of discovery that I lost sight of what really brought me to this all in the first place, which was just to feel better about myself in the world, to feel like I could connect with others and share what I was going through in a very convoluted way because that's what we fiction writers do. We don't want to actually share our problems. We want to hide them behind the problems of characters and work through them that way. And and then that's fun. Like it's it's awesome. It's awesome to imagine different futures and see what happens and and put some of the things the worst people in your life and the best people in your life and put them into the same person and see what happens. And it's even better when you can see that connect with someone else, a stranger who suddenly isn't so stranger anymore. It might be strange that they like your story so much, but it's not a stranger. They now know the most intimate part about you. The, your ability to tell stories and your creations, it's magical. And it changes lives because if you think about what story means the most in the world to you, 
that thing like has a place in your heart, like some real real estate, right? We have real estate, precious real estate in the hearts and minds and lives of our readers. It's, it's immense, it's so important, but it's so easy to forget because that's not the conversation that we go back to. That's not the conversation. The conversation that we go back to is this constant treadmill, this constant hamster wheel of producing more, finding more readers, finding more readers, the constant discovery, because that's why we're on these retailers. We're on these retailers. We work with these publishers for the purpose of discovery. So we're in this constant, constant battle to just find more and more and more and more. And it's not necessarily because we even want this. It's because that's how the system is set up. It's not because the people who work running these companies are bad people. They're lovely people at so many of these different places. It's how the system is set up because the system is set up to be Amazon subscription or insert retailer or insert you get the idea it's not your platform it's not your platform and my story is that i got so caught up in that i decided to graduate high school yearly i spent all my savings on working at a summer job and part-time during school dumped it erroneously into facebook ads was so impatient because i just wanted to make it I just wanted to make it. I felt like time was running out and I felt like I had to do it. And I felt like it was all coming to a head and I felt like I needed to go right now. And I got burnt out. <laughs> I got burnt out. And it was real because that passion for writing, what grounded me in the first place, my connection to my readers, my connection to my stories got lost in this brutal business. The business churned me out. And don't worry. I got into YouTube. Got lucky, got into college at Harvard, started really studying about technology, studying the future of publishing. And now for the last year and a half, I've literally obsessed about one thing, one thing, which is helping authors grow their own subscription platform. And that came to me after I met Amelia Rose, who a lot of you probably already know who are listening to this. You might be like, oh, that name rings a bell. Amelia is awesome. And she's the co-host of this podcast. This is just a solo episode, but she normally is here. She runs the Facebook group with me. And she makes six figures a year as a subscription author, and she's still in the retailers, but subscriptions represent a significant portion of her income. When I say significant, we're talking like nearly half her income, over 40%. That's really cool. I mean, we just were talking about how KU, when you think about inflation, was down 30 to 40%. We're not talking about just diversifying your income here. We could potentially expand it. But there's something more important than just expanding your income. And that's the whole point of my story, which is that I lost sight of that connection to my readers. But this industry almost forces you to do that because we're forced to try and find more, find more, find more, find more, find more, get to the top charts again, get to the top charts again, because it's such an outsized reward to getting to the top of the charts, that's the constant battle. And because it's our income stream, there's no way to go about doing anything else. We depend on that. That has to be the full focus, the full focus. But what if the full focus was on our readers? There's one of the core principles of subscriptions, readers first, core, core focus. What if that was embedded into our business model? This wasn't just our mindset, but the actual system, because systems are even more important than mindset, in my opinion. You have to have the right system, a system that is working for you, not for, you know, bald billionaire guys. Love you. You've done a lot of good things with this industry, but this industry is also evolving. And we're now at a stage where new technologies come about, new reader behavior, and we're seeing this need, this need for something deeper here. What is that something deeper? 
And where's that opportunity for you, right? This all comes in to why subscriptions are important for KU authors. Well, your biggest fans, your biggest fans, and this isn't going to be all your readers. This isn't even going to be majority of your readers. It's going to be a small portion of your readers. Let's just say 2 to 5%. They want more from you. They have their heart stolen by your characters, stolen by your stories, and they want to keep enjoying them. They want to potentially support you. They want to potentially get early access to your work. They want to potentially get bonus content, merchandise, all these things that fans just love, right? Think about how you feel about your favorite story, your favorite book, your favorite author, and what you would do to be able to support them, right? What you would be doing to be able to get that extra access and be able to get that VIP experience. But we're so often focused, again, on the more, more, more that we don't focus on what we already have. And even if that's just one reader, one reader, that's still one human being, an actual human being that deserves to be treated just as much as they care about your work, you have to care for them. And this doesn't come to you actually like caring for them or like going to their house and, you know, cooking them meals, nothing fancy like that. It comes to having your own subscription, having your own KU, where instead of the experience being coming back to this all you eat buffet, the experience is coming back to your world, your community, your safe space that gives that feeling, that that feeling the reader has, that the dopamine going off, the serotonin, the, the memories, the, the love that they have, your stories, they can keep coming back and feeling that over and over again. So powerful. But there's more of a reason why. One more reason why, which is that regardless of whether wider KU is best for you, because you can utilize this strategy as both, both a wider KU author. The truth is that in this moment in time, discovery on the platforms is so important. I'm not telling you to ignore the, the retailers. I'm not. That would be such a weird thing for me to say when most book sales and revenue in English-speaking markets comes through retailers or other platforms of that nature that are somewhat of a devil's bargain. I I hope, my long-term goal in publishing is that we cannot, never again will we have to make a devil's bargain as authors, that we can control the means of distribution, that we, as a CUNY, have all of our own platforms and networks that tie them together that enable a true future where story tells with the world. But that's a vision, okay? Let's talk about right now. It's going to actually help you next month. And what's going to help you next month is not just pulling away from all the platforms. Again, maybe why is a distribution strategy for you that's better? Maybe it's not. Read that KU versus why is a false debate article. You'll get into more of what I'm getting at here. But the point, the takeaway, the takeaway is that book sales are still going to be part of your business. And you don't want to eat away at those book sales, which is why the notion of direct sales can work for a lot of folks. It can, especially depending on how you're driving that. But if you're in KU, direct sales do not work for eBooks. They don't. If you're exclusive to Audible, direct sales do not work for audiobooks. And sure, you could do direct sales for print books, but for a lot of us indie authors, the eBooks and the audiobooks tend to be where it's all at. Now, I'm not saying direct sales aren't an option. And I'm also not saying that you shouldn't be doing direct sales, that direct sales aren't important. They are. Subscriptions are kind of direct sales. It's a specific business model. What I'm about to share with you is why this specific business model 
is really well primed and very synergistic to what happens with a retailer business and that you can actually use both in tandem and have a subscription and expand your revenue rather than just diversify it. Okay. So let's talk about that now. When we think about what a subscription is, it is a reader paying you monthly. It could be on a bunch of different platforms. You could use something like Ream, which is specifically for authors and I think it's a great platform, but I also am one of the people behind building it. So just a note, there's Patreon, Ko-Fi, Substack. I mean, the list goes on. You could join your own website, all even places you could have your subscription. I'm not talking about the platform today, the tools you use. It's a totally different conversation. But what is it? Something that your readers might pay you. Usually the starting tier of $5 a month is what we see. $3 is about the lowest. So anywhere from maybe three to really five to anywhere from literally $100 plus per month. And they're paying on each tier to get access to different benefits, recurring benefits. Those benefits could be things and should be things that don't eat away at your main retailer experience. Because remember what subscriptions are about. It's about rewarding the super fans. Subscriptions are about retention of your core audience, retention of your core fans, and ultimately increasing the value that you give them with little work because we're going to leverage what we're doing really well, but also increase the value that they give you in return, which means that you'll increase your income because you'll have the subscription revenue stream that's growing and you're not going to at all eat away at the other value that you're giving your readers on retailers in KU, et cetera. Okay. We're going to get, we're going to get to the, the actual how in a minute. But I now want to share what I think is the coolest part about this, which is that the most successful subscription authors in the world, so many of them are in KU. So many of them. We have authors like Avon Ellis, You're a Champ, Shirtaloom, Zogarth from LitRPG. That genre is the biggest genre in subscriptions, and LitRPG dominates in KU. And there are some unique things about these genres, but there's also some things that we all can learn from. We see literally dozens of KU authors launching subscriptions successfully. So why can't you? There's dozens doing this successfully each month, continuing to get into it. And there's already hundreds of fiction authors who are making significant money in subscriptions. I'll link to a document that shares with you the numbers from 2022. We're still developing the 2023 numbers, but like people... There's an opportunity here. People are making already at this early stage, well over $10 million a year, fiction authors, well over $10 million a year, which the KU pool is $500 million a year. But you can imagine as subscriptions continue adoption, that it will at least become a sizable portion of the author industry. It'll become something that you can tap into. Now, one last thing. Who has also succeeded in subscriptions today besides KU authors? Where have you probably already heard this from? In the Shield Fiction ecosystem, platforms like Radish, Wattpad, specifically Wattpad and things like that. Those authors had the same problem that you have as a KU author, but just earlier in you know the platform internet history. Their problem was that these serial fiction platforms, namely a Wattpad, a Railroad, they enabled you to find readers, discovery. That's amazing. But they enabled zero, I don't kid you, zero monetization. And the contracts that you had to sign with them to enable monetization in, in many cases with many serial fiction platforms 
are just so atrocious and so unauthor friendly that it, it's not an option. It's not really a great option, um, at least for many folks. So you're writing all these stories, getting all this audience readership, but you have you have nothing that you're making from it personally, which is okay, except it's not okay if you want to write more and spend full time doing it because we need money to exist and live because we're all human beings. That's where subscriptions came in. They realized that they don't want to shoot their discovery in the foot. Like if they leave these serial fiction platforms, all of a sudden now they lose their discovery mechanism at this moment. So instead, they would go, hmm, maybe I can have a subscription where the fans who want to support me, who can support me, can do so. And I know not everyone will do this. Even majority of people won't do this. But I at least can start to generate an income from my work. This is how Amelia Rose got started. And that grew to six figures a year for her back in 2019. And now, all these years later, still, still doing very, very well. That is wild. And it's also the same problem that we have as KU authors, right? Because discovery's there. Discovery hasn't gone anywhere in KU. Oh, this fell out, whoops. I think we're back. No, uh, my mic fell out. Now we gotta switch to the computer mic. That's okay, everyone. Okay, we'll keep, we'll keep going. In KU, there's still discovery, but the income is going down. It's not nothing. And that's why it's, it's actually not a terrible deal compared to some other platforms, let's be honest. I'm not trying to say KU's the devil, but it's also not enough in many cases. It's not enough. And even if it was enough, why would you stop there if you could make more? That's where subscriptions come in. And we could utilize the same strategies that serial fiction authors have, just understanding we have a different readership, maybe a different genre, maybe a different relationship to our readers, but we can utilize a lot of those same fundamentals to grow our subscription base and do this in a way in which we're not spending a lot of time each month. We're not alienating any fans because we still give them the core experience they're getting on retailers of their existing platforms. We're also not shooting any discovery in the foot. And we also are able to create an inclusive experience that brings other fans in to this sort of subscription world, your own KU that you're creating, who might not be able to afford $5 a month because not everyone can. A lot of your fans can, but not everyone. What are we talking about? I gotta flip over the page. So now we're gonna be getting into how to get started, how to get started. So the first thing is you have to commit to it. You have to commit to it. And the promise of it, right, is that you are going to be able to make more money from your fiction without sacrificing your revenue and retailers, without sacrificing that revenue. A subscription is gonna work for every single author. No, I'm not trying to promise that. A subscription is going to 10x your income. No, I'm not promising that either. But can it increase your income by 20 or 30%? Sure. If three to 4% of your fans have a subscription and they on average are paying $5 a month, you can see that add up pretty fast and generate a decent portion of your income. So it's possible. It's possible. It's realistic. Not saying it'll happen for everyone, but we can help you get there. Now, I'm going to be answering some questions from the group from the amazing authors that'll 
be a little primer Q&A, but I want to give you the 10-minute rundown on how to start a successful subscription. 10-minute rundown. In fact, I'll try and do it in five. So we have to first figure out what benefit is sustainable for us to give in our subscription because we're going to be charging something. What is the absolute most sustainable benefit? The most sustainable benefit is nothing. You just tell your readers, hey, if you want to support me extra each month, I would love to have your support. It's $5. It's an option. Kind of treat it as like a tip. How many readers are going to go for that? It's not a very optimized subscription, right? So you'll have probably a much smaller portion of your fan base go for it. But you still might have some. And realistically, it won't take you much time. So that's the first option, the minimum viable subscription, as we like to talk about. And I'll actually link to uh, other awesome free article all about creating and starting your subscription from that minimum viable framework of how fast can you get to your first dollar? Why do I say that? Why am I even suggesting minimum viable subscription? What does it even mean? So subscriptions, right? Because it's about your readers coming back every single month or not about the launch. It's about the fanfare. You as an author are so busy. You've got to be writing books. You've got to be advertising. You've got to be marketing all the things that you're doing in the retail. You don't have time to just go, oh, I'm going to spend next month just focused on my subscription. No. Instead, you should spend part of the next month focusing on your subscription, but as quickly as possible, try and generate revenue from it so you can then bootstrap time emotionally, spiritually, and financially that subscription. And as that makes more, you can put more time into it, et cetera. Makes sense. How do we actually do that? So you want to have one tier to start with. You could do three tiers with different price points. That's getting into some little advanced topics of subscription pricing, but Ultimately, you need to figure out what benefit can I give my readers sustainable for me? Now, as a KU author, you're not going to be able to offer your backlist. That's okay. That's okay. Like I said, so many of the most successful subscription authors in the world are in KU, and they're not offering the backlist. So what are they offering? A lot of times, they'll offer the ability to get their next book early. That's it. Just get their next book early. You could serialize that book chapter at a time. We make that super easy. But at the same time, Maybe your readers aren't as interested in that. Maybe they'd rather do a book club around one of your books. Latest book, you do some discussions, make it a more immersive experience. Maybe you end up having some bonus chapters. You want to keep this light because you don't want to spend too much time writing bonus chapters. That that content could be repurposed better for your broader audience. But maybe you do something like that. You could do something like even else. She has a one once a month. Uh, she has one chapter of an exclusive novel that she'll eventually release out into KU when it's done. But for now, she's just releasing one chapter a month. It's going to take her multiple years to write the book. So she's kind of like writing it on the side. But her readers love it. And they're paying monthly to get it. And it's like this exclusive book that only they get. There's the ability to do art. There's the ability to do merchandise. There's the ability to do sign books. Oof, we can go crazy. I recommend starting simple, okay? Like I said, you can bootstrap it over time and get there to more. And I also recommend... Studying what other KU authors are doing. Great place to come is subscriptions for Authors Facebook group. We got 3,500 folks in there. A lot of folks who can help you. A lot and plenty, plenty who are successful in KU. I mean, just the other day, I was seeing Britt Andrews' subscription who's in KU. And she's grown in a pretty good bit. And I know that she doesn't spend all of her time on her subscription. She spends far from a ton of time on her subscription. But the time that she does spend on it is very meaningful and her fans really are there to support her. So now let's get into the other benefit of this, the real core benefit of your subscription, which is the direct relationship to your fans. Because yes, if you can launch it and make more money, that's great. But 
once you have set up your tiers now, right? You set up your tiers. Your fan might be interested in signing up for early access. They might be interested in signing up for some bonus content. They might be interested in signing up for all these different tier benefits. I'm going to link to a tier reward uh, webinar uh, in the description. That'll be helpful with that. But now, once they're inside is when the magic happens. That's when the magic happens. Because when they're inside of your subscription, you get their email. It's a direct relationship with them. You know who is a subscriber of yours. You can contact them directly through your subscription service. You also can have them be able to comment on your stories in each paragraph, comment on your community post, and build a relationship with them where they start to affiliate you and your stories, your characters in a positive light. That they go, wow, like I'm I'm special. Like this author cares about me. This world cares about me. This is someone who makes me feel meaning in my life, who makes me feel belonging. And your other readers, as they join your description, will help you in that. They will be able to be close to each other around their shared passion. They have your stories. If you don't think this is a big deal, it's a huge deal. We are in a time of a loneliness epidemic where people are spending more time online than ever, which is a you know not a bad thing. But the bad thing is that we are now isolated from real people and a lot of us want to have these connections and being able to be connected in these fandoms is so important. And you as an author are doing all the hard work in facilitating the connection through your storytelling ability. But by creating a space that brings your fans together, it's very, very powerful. And it's a huge moat for you because that moat, your community, that connection that you have is what drives the word of mouth sales, is what drives so many of the factors that produce long-term success in publishing. I'm going to link to another article, totally free essay, all about the three kind of factors, the three big publishing moats that'll help you survive in the future of this industry. And so much of it's based around, again, building that direct relationship with your audience. One where they're coming to you for your brand. You've built your brand and your subscription. They're coming back to you. They don't, they don't just like paranormal romance books. They want your PNR. They want your werewolf, whatever it is, right? They want you. That's the kind of core of it. That's what we have to get to. And if that's the case, then on your subscription, they're going to keep coming back. And you've built that brand. You've built that brand. That's so huge. That is so huge. Now, when you actually think about marketing your subscription, the ways to market it, you can do it in the back of the books that you put in KU, your newsletter list. You could even drive people to following on these platforms where they can start to interact with you on a subscription platform, but can follow you. You'll get their email when they follow you. You'll be able to send them updates, just kind of like they're part of your newsletter. You could bring them to your newsletter because you could export it. And that's just such a huge thing because you can have this whole space, your whole basically version of your own little amusement park where your fans can come. The ones who can't afford and want to pay you can get the VIP experience. And the ones who aren't able to can still hang out and potentially might get a CUNY post that you put up there, might get a newsletter update you put up there. And you can build that relationship with them and between them. That is huge and truly is what this is all about because we got into this to connect with our readers, to connect with our stories and to tap into that core passion that brings us back to these worlds day in and day out. And having this community there to ground you, having these readers knowing they support you and being able to get that direct feedback from them will shape everything you do in the future development of your product lines future development of your stories, 
and will ultimately help you be able to build a more focused brand that can not only build a more powerful subscription, but can help you succeed even more on the retailers. It's a virtuous cycle. The halo effects are real here and you don't have to pull out of KU to do it. You don't have to pull out of KU to do it. And you can set one up so easily in less than an hour that you don't have too much to lose by trying. So that is my call to action for KU authors. You've never done something specific to KU authors. And I hope I outlined some of the benefits of it in terms of how you could potentially be able to keep your exclusivity, not have to, you know, forsake any income on the platforms and forsake discovery, but be able to, in your subscription, give your readers an awesome experience, VIP treatment that ultimately leads to more value to you. Now, I know one quick question on this because we're going to be getting into all of the Q&A from the group. But one quick question would probably be, hey, like, this sounds great, but if a reader is getting early access to my description or a reader is getting bonus content, are they going to go buy my book on Amazon still? The answer we see, and we see this, is yes. So many of your readers are still going to go on to the retailers and support you. They want that finished book. They want the edited book. You're offering something that's unique in your subscription, a unique experience, and your fans are going to want both. So it's not going to hurt your sales for the most part on retailers. It's not going to hurt your discovery. It's only going to expand the opportunities for you to make money and connect with your fans, which again is what this is all about. Us connecting their fans, us building our own community, us taking our control and us building our own subscription. So fans come back to us each month, pay us as consistent revenue. And then between book launches, when the KU page read rate drips, dips, all these different things are out of control. You realize that the one thing you do control is the relationship you have to your existing fans. And that is what the core of a subscription is about. And they get to pay you the same amount monthly that you get full control over. I mean, just you hear how excited I am. It just makes so much sense. It makes so much sense to try it. And again, I'm not suggesting that it's right for everyone because that's just nothing is right for everyone. And the beauty of a subscription is there's not one way to do a subscription. If anyone tells you there's one way to do a subscription, they're lying. You can do a subscription in the way that works best for you and your life. And it's about these principles, under-promising, over-delivering, keeping it sustainable for you, having fun, putting your readers first. That comes first in terms of what is your relationship with them existing? How can you literally like put yourself into their mind and think, what will they think about my marketing? How can I make my marketing fun? How can I include them in this process so that they feel like they're a part of the journey, that they're getting a lot of value from this, not that they're just giving me value. We can oftentimes think about what we're getting from it and not what they're getting from it. All these different things. Okay. I'm getting way too excited. I want to wrap up with just five steps before we get into the questions. Five steps to start your subscription. First step, create a free account. All these subscription platforms are free to use. You can sign up and you can get it started. The next thing is to create your first tier with your first benefit. The benefit part you could overthink, and I understand that, but you can also change it in the early days. So don't be too wedded to it. Don't be too wedded to it. Then you have the next thing, which is loading up some content, preparing that benefit. Maybe that's getting a chapter loaded into your description, bonus content, art piece, whatever it is. But that actually isn't a lot of time because you don't need to load up years worth of content for your subscribers. You're not competing with KU. Again, this description to you and your world, it's not endless stories, right? 
you're one human being. You cannot produce endless stories, but you can produce an incredible experience that fans want to come back to month over month and we'll pay for. Okay. Then we're up to step four, which is share your subscription with the world. And keep this simple. I want you to have the fastest time to first dollar. We all know how stressful it is launching a book. Subscriptions are not about launching. They're about iteration. So launch quickly. Get it out to some fans in your Facebook group. Get it out to some fans in your newsletter. See if they like it. See how that goes. Iterate based on their feedback. Which brings us to step five, which is making changes and making it fun for your existing fans. Subscriptions are built around consistent monthly payment. And ultimately, it's a system that rewards you for focusing on your existing fans and building deeper connections with them. The one thing that the system of Amazon doesn't reward. This system, your subscription system, your subscription platform, your KU rewards you building your brand and you building intimate relationships and intimate connection with your readers, building those core fans. That's what this business is built off of in general, all of publishing and subscriptions just incentivize that. It's baked in. So you have to remember that and remember that, oh, when I get a fan in month one, I want to give them a great experience so they keep coming back month over month. That's what it's about. Once you complete those five steps, you'll have your first dollar, hopefully the first five more, and then you can start to be able to continue making that amount each month and then grow it by kind of rinsing and repeating the steps, tweaking your benefits, sharing it with more readers through various marketing channels, and then making them happy when they're there. Now, I know there's a lot. I know you might want a deeper dive. We have a free book all about subscriptions called Subscriptions for Authors. It's free in audiobook. Um, and that, that'll be free on YouTube specifically and podcast players. And then free across all the retailers um, and direct from us. So you can find that linked in the description. You just get it for signing up for a mailing list. But you also can just go on to a retailer and get it yourself. No email required. I know it's a lot. There's a lot of information I just threw at you. But we're just so passionate about this. And we've never once actually like shared anything specific to KU authors. And I just felt like it was a good time to share with people. I can sense the panic. I can sense people feeling like the out of controlness of it. And I don't want you to feel that way because you can take back control. You can take some of that control and you can build your own KU. And that's what today was about teaching you the high level of that. I hope this was helpful. I hope this was helpful. It was certainly a lot. And now I'm going to share with you some questions that were in the Facebook group. I told everyone that I was going to be doing this. And these questions, what's so good about it is they're kind of more focused on like people who are just getting started. And that's why I think these questions are going to be so helpful for many of you listening who may have been sharing this podcast by a friend, which quick call, like would love if you share this with a KU author, because this isn't their end all silver bullet answer. Trust me, it's not, but it's something that could help. Is something that can open up their mind to thinking about things in a different way. And whether you start a scripture or not, whether scriptures are the answer for you, I do think you learned something here that was worth your time. But now let's dive into more subscription-specific questions. Hello to everyone in the wonderful SFA community who's listening to this. So Tina Dawson asks, how long should a subscription chapter be? That's the first question. I'll answer the first question first, and there's a second question from Tina. So hello, Tina. I think this is a wonderful question. And... The truth is that this depends on your genre. So a lot of people, when they're talking about how long should a subscription chapter being, they're probably talking about releasing their chapters serially, which is which is totally cool to do on a subscription. It's a great thing to do because then you could drip feed your book as you write them to your fans. 
and they get that raw and inversion and get to help shape that. Now, what I see typically, typically if you're optimizing something for discovery on a serial fiction platform, romance tends to be a little bit shorter chapters. Serial fiction in general tends to be a little bit shorter, one to 2,000 words, a lot of times 1,000. But I've seen a lot of fantasy serials that can run four to 5,000 words on average. So in short, you should look to authors that are succeeding on the discovery platforms that you also want to succeed on to base how you should package and pace your beats and plotting um, for those platforms. And then your subscription, it's a little bit more flexible because a lot of your core fans are going to be there. But ideally, you're not changing the packaging too, too much from what you're doing on a retailer discovery platform in terms of the chapter length, right? It would be annoying to like write completely different chapter lengths for your subscription and a retailer. So I guess I'm suggesting optimize it for discovery, optimize it for the reader expectation and authors who are competitive to you in a good, good way, meaning books that you'll see on the same bookshelf as you is, is going to give you great data on that. Angela. Angela asks, I'm wondering how authors get their first subscribers and continue to build. Does it come from an already existing audience or is it where to build from zero? If so, how is it done? I mean, I'll just first say, great question. Um, but there's definitely no way to like start anything from zero. Meaning like, you're not just gonna like snap and get a paid subscriber. I know you weren't asking that, but I just wanna set that expectation clear. Now, subscriptions and discovery and subscriptions, we're talking about discovery and this whole interplay. The truth is that having someone have the trust to subscribe to your own KU, subscribe to your subscription is more friction, right? And it's something that it's tough to get someone in on the early stages of the funnel. So you're going to have to build a funnel to be able to build a relationship with your fans over time that then they're ready to subscribe by a certain point in that funnel. What does that mean? It means that oftentimes to start a successful subscription and get paid fans in 24 hours, the authors who are most primed to launch a subscription and press the button and immediately get new paying subscribers are probably authors who already have an existing fan base of some sort. But you're actually really primed as someone just getting started out to build this monetization engine into your business from the get-go. And it's so important because oftentimes if you don't do it, it's really, really the situation where you could be losing out on money that you're making along the way. Like five, ten dollars when you're just getting started out is a big deal, and that will scale with the size of your audience. And the key is like I've been talking about hammering home this whole podcast. Utilizing the right discovery platform, which could be KU, which could be Y, which could be serial fiction platforms, to then funnel them into your subscription. That's the idea. Tina also asked another question. What price is the most popular and what price do you recommend setting for a first-time subscription author? So the most popular price, I would say, is either 3 or $5. It's kind of one of the two. I've seen it trend more upwards towards five, and I would say five is what I'd recommend for a starting tier. But it depends what you're offering. Like if you're offering signed books at a $5 tier and you're releasing four signed books to your readers a year, that's not going to be profitable with shipping costs counted in. So you you want to be careful about like what you're offering. But if it's digital focused, $5 is usually a pretty good starting point. So I I will say that always there's caveats, right? Emily. Hello, Emily. So Emily asked, first-time author um, who are starting subscriptions before their debut is released, how should they handle their tiers, especially in their backlist? How can they boost discoverability within subscriptions 
which aren't as programmed for that as something like a radish or a Bella or a retailer. Okay. So the first thing I would think about in terms of how should they handle their tears with no backlist? I mean, the backlist, I don't know if that's really the core benefit of a subscription, right? They want to get continual access and continue showing up to be able to be a part of the experience. And the backlist is definitely like, it's not a bad thing. Bigger backlist is good for so many different reasons. And it's the most important thing because it means you have more experience, probably acquired more readers over the time, et cetera. But I don't think that like having your backlist within a subscription is even necessary. Like I said, so many of the most successful KU authors are also very successful in subscriptions and therefore don't have a backlist in their subscription. Now, how should you handle just getting started with your tiers? Simple, simple. You don't want to launch with 10 different tiers when you're just getting started. Your time, when especially when you're first beginning, you're like in ultra growth mode, right? Because you have so much of the market, so much readers that you just haven't, don't even know who you are. So you're going to be spending most of your time on discovery, but that doesn't mean that you don't want to be nurturing your community as it's built. But you want to be careful about making sure that you're not over-promising 10 different tiers to your subscribers. Because if you have bonus content, signed book, exclusive artwork, all this different stuff, and you only have one subscriber, you might make good money from that one subscriber. But when you think about how your time could be leveraged elsewhere to build your fan base with other activities, you might realize that that's not, not the best move. So I recommend picking tiers that are very high leverage. What I mean by high leverage, it means that the time that you're spending in your subscription, creating that content, and delivering those benefits can be repurposed elsewhere for the sole purpose or at least a core purpose being discovery. So an example would be if you're going to be offering exclusive short stories in your subscription, that's beautiful. But when you're guests getting started, this is especially important. Don't make those exclusive to your subscription forever. Bundle them into a collection, publish them on Amazon, right? And, and try and also basically juice your discovery and your monetization as, as much as possible. In terms of discoverability on these platforms, you know, I think that's changing. I think things are evolving. I don't want to say, I don't want to say too much because I think there's a lot of just exciting things that are changing in the industry over the next couple of years. But as it stands right now, you do have to bring people to your subscription. And at the same time, like you always have to bring people to a space where they can start to build trust in you before they're ready to subscribe, right? So there's always that sort of like, no one's just going to magically pay you $5 a month. There's always that sort of ramp up period. And if you have a subscription, you just want to think about your top of funnel. So you might want to think about actually using one of the discovery platforms, a retailer, a serial fiction platform to be able to funnel people into your subscription, social media, et cetera. Just posting into the ether on a site, as we all know, isn't going to get eyeballs. So you always need a way to try and market slash advertise yourself and get eyeballs to what you're doing. Target eyeballs. Randall, Randall, great to hear from you. Randall asks, I have a three book series, almost ready for publication. Would I be better off pushing this out as pushing this out as a description, chapter by chapter, or would it require rewriting first? So my answer here is going to be no. It would not require rewriting first, but it also depends on your comfort level. But what we see if you're looking to do an early access focused subscription, there's multiple business models. There's early access focus subscription, there's fan immersion, which is like 
Zoom calls and other sorts of cool experiences with your fans. There's bonus content, um, which can include art, epilogues, other bonus chapters and things like that. And then there's, of course, like merch and swag focused subscriptions. So speaking to your specific subscription, because like I said, there's no one way to run a subscription. Okay, I'm sticking true to that. It's true. Um, but Randall, what it sounds like with how you want to run your subscription, I would recommend that you would be best publishing the early access, getting that feedback for your readers. You don't need to dust it all up and get it edited first because you can think about this from a cash flow perspective. If you're able to get the existing fan base that you have excited about that three book series and wanting to read all of it before it's officially ready, you can then put it into the copy edit later, you know, and then they have probably helped fund that copy edit so that you're having to go out of pocket less and you're able to also get that money in faster because you're not gonna have to wait till the copy edit finishes to start promoting and start bringing fans into your subscription. I hope that makes sense. But if your comfort level is, hey, look, I only wanna give my fans finished books, my subscription, I totally understand. But it's very common for a lot of authors offering early access for that not to be the case that they are giving them closer to first drafts. Sabrina, hello. Sabrina asks, are there authors with less of a rapid fire subscription who are successful? I was told that releasing frequently twice a week was where people were successful, but feels less attainable starting out as a writer who also works full time and has kids. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is just true. Like when you're getting started as a writer, you're not going to be able to do what full-time writers are doing in terms of the output. And I think this is the biggest thing to think about in a subscription is when we look at books, right? Books are so focused on the launch and creating distinct products that we create the distinct product of a book and then we launch it and then we create the next one. So when you're seeing like a finished product from a beginning author and an author who has hundreds of thousands of readers, there, there might be a difference in the quality of a story, but that's of course subjective. But the final finished product, you know, best practice is to have it as close to on par as possible, right? With subscriptions, that's not true because subscriptions, you're going to be constantly iterating that one product of your tiers, right? Whereas that's not how it works with books. You release new books. And because of that subscription nature and launching not being the thing, but the iteration being the thing, I would recommend thinking about what is sustainable for you. Over time, you can launch you know, new things in your subscription and be able to iterate it to the point that you're producing more and giving your fans more, but you also have to be at that stage of your career. And until you get there, I would really, really focus on keeping things sustainable. Even Ellis, she's an amazing, amazing author. I know I've already mentioned her, but she's a KU author who we had in the podcast. I'll link to that episode in the description, but she writes basically one of her big draws in her subscription is a chapter a month, uh, exclusive novel. So you can definitely do, um, you know, once a week, once every other week, very possible, very possible. Um, in terms of like what free subscription funneling platforms work best for different genres. Um, so obviously this episode's about KU, which KU would be kind of the funnel here. Um, but based on what you're asking, I'm pretty sure that you're talking about serial fiction platforms, which in that case, we have an article, I'll link to it in the description. That's all about like the best serial fiction platforms per genre. Because you didn't mention your genre in this question, a little bit tough for me to guess what is best for you. And as much as I'd love to go over every serial fiction platform, um, I think the article does a good job at it. So I would go read that. Um, the next thing, uh, Angel, Angel, hello. 
what do we need to have to start a subscription on the legal side of things? Any documentation or licenses do we need to have on hand before we could start one? Angel, this is a great question. Great question. So in short, not really. I mean, you really just need what you would need to set up on a retailer to get paid out, which I will say does depend on the country. In the United States, you can run yourself as a sole proprietorship, uh, but I know United Arab Emirates, uh, a lot of times they require um, some sort of business. So it, it depends locally on your country. Okay, I'll say that. But uh, for most countries, you're not going to need really anything beyond what would be the equivalent of a sole proprietorship in the United States. Okay, that's not legal advice. I'm not a lawyer, but just some insights. In terms of like how you're paid out and documents and things like that, you can either choose to do a subscription direct where you basically own all the payment data, which is really cool. And you control the subscriptions yourself. Like you can migrate them from platform to platform. It's it's a really cool feature that not every platform has, uh, but, but Ream has it. And it's basically like setting up on Shopify. But that also means that you would be liable for the sales tax and, and VAT, which is a whole long conversation. But the TLDR is a lot of people don't end up hitting Nexus. So it's not a huge deal for a lot of authors, but it's a very valid anxiety, a very valid concern and potential time suck, which is why manage is the other option, which is how you do business with a retailer currently. Um, and that means that they're the merchant of record and then pay out the funds to you, um, which a lot of subscription platforms work like that as well. Um, most aren't upfront about how they do business with you. On Ring, we give you the option, uh, which I think is killer um, because you actually can choose how you want to do business with us. And I recommend, I'll, I'll link to that guide somewhere also in the description, just reading more about that because I think you could dive deep, deep, deep on that. And I probably went overboard in answering your question. I'm sorry. Justin, hey. So you say if you've been inactive for a few years, asking for a friend. What's the best approach to announcing your new subscription as the focus of your writing and interacting? How do you recommend incorporating a subscription community as the focus of a reboot for a lapsed author coming back to finish out a series and start another? I do not recommend hitting them with the paid immediately, with the paid tier, which goes almost against the advice I was giving people earlier and like launching fast and, and you know, getting those first dollars in. But why I would recommend waiting off is because of the trust factor. If you've been gone for a while, fans need to be able to trust that you're going to be there for them. And it feels very odd, right? Is there maybe in a shaky place with trust to be like, hey, I've got this new thing. I know I haven't been around in a couple of years, but you can start paying me monthly now. I think that could turn a lot of people off, a lot of potential future subscribers. And even if you do get a few from something like that, I think it's a better strategy. Instead, you can bring them to your subscription platform but promote the following feature that these subscription platforms have. You can archive all your existing tiers. They can't sign up to any paid tier. They won't even see them. Instead, instead, you can promote them to follow you. That means that on the platform, they will be able to see CUNY posts you make, chapters you post, but all for free. So you can just start to build that trust back. And then you could launch that paid tier and it's already in the platform that they're using. It's right there, very easy upsell. You'll see a super high conversion and you'll build your mind less in the process. Win-win, that's my advice. Sophie, hello, great to hear from you. So you ask, how do you explain what a subscription is to readers who usually only read long form and have no interest in paying per chapter websites? I have a lot of, I'll wait for the ebook or read back from over half my newsletter subscribers when I'm marketing my serialized stories. I'm not sure how to incentivize trying something new. That's, that's a great question. So. This again is specifically for someone with their early access subscription business model. And, you know, 
the biggest thing you have to think about here is, are you trying to change their behavior? Not really, right? Descriptions about giving your fans more of what they love. So it's all about the framing, right? How do you frame it in a way that is familiar to them? The truth is that serial fiction, the serial reading experience is different than the novel experience. There's a few ways you can approach this. Instead of the idea of like dripping out early access a chapter day, you could do what I call the book club model. The book club model. This is how you can create greater perceived value in your offer for your early access subscription when the word early access doesn't really ring true. Like if fans are like, oh, early access, that's cool, but I just get access to like a chapter at a time and that just seems confusing. Just give me the whole book when it's out. Cool. I understand where you're coming from. Readers first, let's empathize and now think, how can we create a more compelling offer? Book clubs. What do I mean? Okay, so here's what I would do. If your fan is, you know, having trouble conceptualizing the value proposition of early access, it's probably because they don't come from a serial fiction reading background. And it's not your job to force them into that. It's just not. Like they might pick it up naturally and, and that's great. But you as an author are trying to sell yourself and your stories, selling a whole new way of reading to an existing fan who isn't reading in that manner is hard enough. Okay. So what I would do is still from a production standpoint, you're giving them early access, right? So from the author, put the author hat on, it's early access. You're writing those chapters and you're giving them the first chapter draft. Okay. So how am I, what magic are we pulling now? Okay. The magic comes in how you deliver it and what you say it is. How you deliver it. Instead of a chapter at a time, maybe you do it in chunks. Let's say the book is, I don't know, going to be given early access to your subscription. Maybe you're planning to release it like January 1st. It's August and I'm recording this. So maybe you plan to, for like September, October, and November, three months, give out early access in your subscription. Okay, that's great. For simplicity's purpose, maybe your book has 100 chapters. So maybe you decide for 10 straight weeks to give them 10 chapters, or maybe every other week to give them 20 chapters. Okay, that's kind of serialized, but not really serialized, right? Because we're kind of doing like bulk publishing of a bunch of chapters. And the scheduler that we have makes it super easy to do that too. But you can do. Oh, and this is so, oh, I love it. This is where we get exciting. You will actually frame it as a book club. And a book club, when you read something, think about when you read something for a book club or at school. I mean, usually you'll meet once a month in a book club. So, you know, and it'll be like for an hour. So you'll have read the whole book. But if you're doing a book club online, you're not going to probably be meeting for an actual hour. You're going to be doing asynchronous community discussions. And the best way to do that instead of having one big discussion in the end is to have a discussion while the book's going on. But how can you ensure that people don't read ahead? How can you ensure that everyone's at the right place? Early access, but you're not going to call it that. But effectively what you're doing, right? Because now you can say, oh, chapters 1 through 20 are available in my book club. We're going to have discussion on it. Um, and I'll make a post in the community where people can ask questions on September 15th. And then we'll get up to chapter 40 by October 1st. And then so on and so forth, right? You see that? The book club model? It's a way to reframe early access in a way that's more comfortable, more familiar to readers because they probably understand the value proposition of, oh, I get to be in a VIP book club 
that gives me access to this story before it launches. And I get to participate and ask the author questions and see how the story is developing. That sounds way cooler than serialized early access to the right reader. To other readers, serialized early access might be like, whoa, this is it. You want to try out the different messaging. Ultimately, it doesn't change your core product. The story doesn't really even change how you're releasing it outside of just bundling the chapters together slightly differently, right? And it's this slight change and this slight marketing copy change that can lead to huge value, right? Because you're coming and meeting your readers where they are. Hope that was helpful. Renee, amazing question. How much time do I need to allocate for admin and outreach? So those are two separate buckets. And I think the admin is easier to answer because we bucket admin into managing success, analytics, et cetera, posting chapters, you know, keeping up with, you know, end of year taxes and things like that. I think admin work for a subscription could be very low. I mean, if you preload your content in for a book and schedule it out, which, um, we make really easy on Ream because we built the whole platform for authors. So a lot of this stuff is just very, the admin time gets cut down by a lot. I'll put it that way. But um, you, you could very realistically do it in 30 minutes a week of admin time, if not less. I think I'm I'm, I'm actually trying not to oversell you on the admin time. Um, that doesn't count the creation time. You're not going to be able to write your chapters and post them in less than 30 minutes. But you can certainly post them, post the CUNY post, get everything you need to get done, respond to the comments of your readers, get all that admin work done in a relatively short period of time. As that admin time scales, which would name, mainly be community edit management, managing comments from readers, managing those interactions, you could hire a community manager, um, which is going to be a growing role in the publishing industry and a valuable one. And a PA can do a lot of these things. So that would be, you know, it, it's a limited admin time. And when it comes to outreach, outreach is a separate discussion, which I'm thinking that you're talking about marketing there. The, the truth is that the should and can are more important. How much time should you spend on marketing? Uh, heck, I think if we all could spend an unlimited time on marketing and writing, we'd probably all have better writing businesses. I'd really ask you the better question is, how much time sh do you have to devote to your writing career in general? And the answer is going to be maybe 10 hours a week, maybe five hours a week, maybe 40 hours a week if you're working full time. That's beautiful. We want to get there. But you're going to have a small portion of that that should be for marketing because you're going to want to be writing for, I recommend at least half your time, half your time spent writing. So then the other half, you know, might be split up between some admin here and there and some marketing. So then you might realize I have two hours a week to market, right? And then you want to back into how can I have uh, focused marketing activities that are helping to drive value for me um, and not splitting my hairs between 10 different places. Cause how can I master 10 different marketing strategies in two hours a week? That doesn't sound very realistic, right? Which is why we talk about focusing your funnel building out one funnel successfully first. Um, so anyways, I, that, I know that's not like an exact answer, but I, I hope it's, I hope it's helpful. Um, Sue, Sue asks, so I'm switching genres, cozy mystery, and I have a tiny list and I'd like to have some subscription marketing tips. So how do you find your subscribers from a standing start? What subscription funnels work well for my genre? If I go for an early release model, Will that potentially make me lose momentum when it comes to selling my first in the series? How do I stop this from happening? I've heard it said it can be better to start descriptions when you already have the first in series out. That kind of makes sense as those who like the story might want more, more before book two comes out. Thoughts? Sorry, that's more than one question. No, 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 no. So this is, this is perfect. I 
Love it. And let's back into this here. Let's back into this. So I think that Cozy Mystery is definitely like the readership there. You're not going to find on serial fiction platforms that much. Those aren't necessarily serial fiction readers. So when I was talking earlier about the book club framing, I think that's a probably a more valuable framing for that reader. There's actually a, a creator on um, Patreon. Her name's Tonya Cops, who has a successful subscription. That's a book, cozy mystery book club. So there's definitely something there. So um, that's that's one thing. Uh, in terms of how do you find your subscribers from a standing start? First of all, I'm not an expert in cozy mystery. I won't pretend to be an expert in cozy mystery, but you will probably find them. The platforms that I see them after interacting on are Amazon and Facebook. Frankly, that's where I see them interacting on the most. Um, again, cozy mystery will probably know better than me, which would mean that you kind of have two methods to 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 kind of reach them organically or through paid marketing. So paid marketing is Facebook ads and Amazon ads. Um, primarily if you're utilizing these two platforms. Um, and, and both can work. Um, I know Steve Higgs does really well with Facebook ads and Cozy Mystery. Um, and I met him before. He's a great guy. I, I would be shocked if you listened to the Steve Higgs, but you're a great guy. Shout out to you. Um, but if you don't have the money to spend or marketing's not your strength, you're more looking to go organic. Organic on Amazon is very hard until you get sales. It's very much a chicken egg scenario. But I would... Think about going into Cozy Mystery Reader groups um, and interacting just and becoming a trusted person in the group. I recommend joining the subgroup that Joan Raymond's starting that'll be launched in the next probably 30 minutes after this podcast is published because I'm going to go and make that post and then go to sleep. But that group is for Cozy Mystery authors, helping them build a larger book club on Facebook. So there's... There's some opportunities there. And I would say that, you know, networking with fellow authors on the journey is important and, you know, building relationships on the ground with readers, you know, maybe, maybe like, for instance, like in terms of how you could find readers, ads are scalable, ads can work. But if you're looking for, again, the more organic approach, maybe it's going into these book clubs and maybe there's an event that's going on in these Facebook groups that you're able to utilize, right? Um, we all know about Facebook parties. You have to be careful. It can be a time suck too. It's really challenging. No silver bullet there. But hopefully that's some ideas to start with and definitely look at the Cozy Mystery subgroup. Um, that'll be awesome. What subscription models work well for my genre? You know, that's something that's out in the air. It's out in the open. Tamara Lush um, successfully launched a Cozy Mystery subscription, has over 10 paid subscribers now. You should definitely check her out. Uh, Tamara or Tara Lush, I think both will show up. Um, they're amazing. They're a Cozy Mystery author. So that's one success story, um, which I think is awesome. Her funnel was from her newsletter, newsletter into, um, into the subscription. So it depends on how you want to go about it. But... Um, you're probably going to be best bringing someone from the back of a book or some sort of social media platform, probably Facebook, onto your subscription platform, either as a follower or a paid member. The offer is the key part in terms of your funnel, like how the call to action works, what your subscription offer is, what the benefit is. Um, it's hard for me to say without knowing what you want, what is the best benefit for you to do because you know better what works best for your brand and passions. But Keep it simple and be wary of framing something like chapter by chapter serialized early access. I've worked with enough cozy mystery authors to know 
that the the framing around book club, the framing around, you know, VIP, you know, behind the stage book, something that is a little bit more familiar to them might be better in the early access. And again, a different experience as well, because they're going to participate in the community, um, engage with the comments and almost be part and solve the mystery with you. That's how you can think about it. Uh, then if I go for an early release model, will that potentially make me lose momentum when it comes to selling my first in the series? How do I stop this from happening? So the answer is probably not. I'm not going to give you a guarantee because that would be like, I've been lying. I, I had no, I, I can't foresee the future, but the risk is low because you're, you're actually creating a sort of distinct experience, right? Because the ones who are coming for the early ability to be able to participate in your community and read your book before anyone else also disproportionately are probably your biggest fans. You'll probably still see the carryover on to the retailers. And in addition, you always can offer them the early access unedited edition on the subscription platform and give them the finalized version on the retailers that then they can go and, and purchase themselves. You also can do, because I'm assuming you're looking mainly for the algorithm boost rather than the, um, rather than the boost in uh, revenue because you're already making more revenue from those readers than you would be on the retailers. Another approach, another approach, and you have to be careful about this um, because you don't want word to get out too wide. But if you don't do a pre-order for your next book in series, which there's conflicting notions on whether it's best practice to have a pre-order or not for next in series. But if you have a subscription that you're saying, hey, come here and read this next book inside my subscription, um, what you would be able to do then is put up um, that that book um, for pre-order or at like 99 cents before you tell anyone else about it, only tell the people in early access who finished the book, hey, you all get the book at 99 cents on Amazon. Then they can buy it, leave their verified reviews and give the algorithm boost. It'll happen before it launches publicly. I think how that would specifically work, kind of like from a workload perspective is you would obviously launch book one. You would offer early access to book two and you might want to have the pre-order up in the retailer then. And if you do have the pre-order up in the retailer then, then this strategy of the limited time discount wouldn't work for being one book behind, but then you'd want to actually be doing this for book three. Like, hey guys, I know you're on my subscription now. I want to give you a chance to get, you know, buy book three before it's linked on your series page and showing up to everyone. Um, if you want to get book three before anyone else for just 99 cents, uh, you can get that. And you all of you can see you saying here, we'll get the early access and be part of the book club. Um, you know, that's kind of how you could approach that so that you're, you're almost reading two books ahead on your subscription. I mean, that would be like the ultimate optimized way to like generate as much sales as possible on the retailer and, um, you know, grow your subscriber base as much as possible because, you know, you could pre-order book two on the retailer, or you could read all the way to book three in your subscription. And then you could reward those people um, who finished reading book three with the cheap book book three in the retailer. I, if I, am I making sense? I feel like I need to draw it out. I feel like I need to draw it out, but it makes sense in my mind. I hope it makes sense in your mind. It's late. I'm doing my best here, but um, 
I hope that was helpful. I hope there was something in there um, that was, was helpful because I think there's there's ways to play with it, but I just want to caveat, big caveat in the end. We haven't seen like a drastic, drastic drop off in, in book purchases on the retailers. And a lot of times people who will buy your book in your description too, who are going to be like getting that early access might be people who weren't purchasing the retailers anyways, because they might have issues with, with X retailer or things like that. So it, it's, it's, it's less of a problem than you'd think. But if you want to try and eliminate the problem, I gave you some some creative workarounds to try and um, create positive incentives. Um, okay. Can you talk about posting short stories on our descriptions? Is it a great idea? Bad one? Not enough people doing it to know yet. I'm going to highlight another wonderful author, David. David Vergutz. I actually probably do think you're listening, which in that case, I'm extra grateful for you taking the time to listen to this. David's an incredible author. He writes horror and he has short stories in his description and it's gone very well for him. It's all branded around um, basically nightmares and it's a really, really great, really great subscription. I mean, just awesome. And he has his readers voting on the next short story settings and, and higher tiers. And then the readers as lower tiers and as higher tiers get those short stories. It's an ingenious short story model. And it's working for him. And then he's taking those short stories and leveraging them for greater discovery by putting them in audio version on YouTube, collecting that AdSense, funneling those people back into a subscription, and then bundling the short story into a paperback that he can then sell and into an ebook that he can then sell in the retailers. And the people at a high tier will, will get that paperback um, for free, which is great because the paperback discovery, as we know, on the retailers isn't really as important as the ebook discovery. Um, so he gets to give an extra reward, capture more of that revenue, and not have a hit in discovery. It's a genius model. So I guess I would just recommend looking at David as an example, one of more growing examples. And as long as you're thinking about repurposing those short stories for discovery outside of your subscription, it's a really fun thing to do to bring community together. It's really, really fun. So I encourage you to give it a shot and I encourage you to look at, you know, someone like David. There's also um, EJ Frost and the Steamy One Shot group and a lot of people doing things of that nature where you might have more like one-off short stories. Your whole subscription might not be focused around short stories, but there might be one a month or one every other week that kind of like brings fans in at a lower tier. If you can't afford $5 a month, well, you get one short story for $3 a month. You can try it out and see. And that often can entice people to upgrade and be a great thing to build the community together. And you can have higher, higher paying tiers, be able to vote on some of the things that happen in the short story. I know that sounds wild, but like, hey, you can pick the setting. Hey, we can name a character after you. Um, they can be really, really fun and give you a chance to experiment. So if it's something that you enjoy as a writer, if you like, like short stories, um, there's definitely ways to make money off of subscriptions. Subscriptions is one of the few ways you can make money off short stories reliably, but there are other ways to make money off short stories. For sure. But descriptions are a very valid one. Next up, we have, is there a way for two co-authors to share an account but have tiers by, by each author and some together? I think I read that right. So right now, that's quite challenging to do on the subscription platforms that exist in like a simple way. Like meaning, hey, let's create a joint page. We'll... I'll fully get the royalties from this tier. You fully get the revenue from that tier and we'll split revenue on this tier. That That's not quite super easy right now, but that'll be changing. But what you can do is create a joint account where you have the page 
you both can have access to that account, um, then you can set up a tier for each of you and a co-author tier and do all that. But all the revenue right now would get paid out to one bank account, and then you'd have to pay it out from there, which is standard for a, for a lot of how co-author agreements work. But I do think there's room to make that better and easier on subscription platforms. Um, but it's a great question. It's a great question. Melinda asks, can I have a one-time purchase to unlock a special edition of an annotated book? You could actually, Melinda. Um, you know, transactional sales, I I won't. It's, it's late at night. I might spoil things. I'm not going to spoil anything. But uh, contact um, contact me. I think you know our our email and everything, um, and I'd be happy to. I have a solution for you. We've we've done uh, one time upgrades and transactions as well, and I can automatically downgrade people and make that a really smooth process. So I guess the short story is like, let's talk. Um, it, it it sounds very possible to me, um, and it sounds like a great idea. Kimberly, what is the most popular tier format? And do those folks publish chapters weekly, short stories weekly? What is the most popular practice? Kimberly, these questions. No, it's a good question. It's a good question. I, I just, I always hesitate around this because it's like it's, the beauty of subscriptions is it's your platform. It's your KU and, and you know, it's, it's you. So you should be doing what works best for you and not necessarily thinking you have to do what works best for other people. So that's just my first advice. Like, like stop, like stop admiring people who are three years ahead of you in the subscription game when you need to be thinking about who are the people who are doing it today, who are going to be sticking in it tomorrow um, from a sustainability perspective in terms of what you're offering. Here's the most popular tier format. Pricing kind of went over. Entry-level pricing, $5 is the most popular. In terms of the format, I would say right now, out of the existing authors who are successful in subscriptions, early access is the most common model. So they're basically publishing the book elsewhere down the line or the content or the short story, but the fans in their subscription are getting the ability to read it before anyone else. In terms of like the cadence, I would say once a week is like a median. It's a median. Like there's some people who are doing way more than this. A lot of people who are at a, a less frequent cadence. And I think a lot of it just comes down to like what's sustainable for you rather than like what is best or optimal. But like, I think just in general, shooting for writing one chapter a week is a great goal. So um, that seals sustainable to at least enough people for me. But it's also a, about the median of where I see things being with subscription rewards. Casey, Casey. So Casey asks, how important is networking on the free sites you're using to convert to paid subscribers? Because apparently it is very important. That's what Casey says. Um, hmm. um, that's what you mean by networking. Like on the free sites, like, responding to the comments of readers really does have an impact. So if you consider like responding to the comments of readers as networking, then like, yeah, I'd say that's pretty important. I would say responding to the comments of readers onto your fiction platforms so you're trying to get discovery on is pretty important. That doesn't mean you have to like become friends with them or like become a social media influencer in the comments. It just means, thank you. This means a lot. Or I'm glad you said that. I'll take it into account for the next chapter. Things like that showing some that you see them, that you recognize them is what matters with that. Now, I'm not going to tell you that networking with authors isn't important, but I think that like building a community of authors around you is just like a creative need that is so important to fulfill. Like 
being able to be around other creative people, right? So I, I think that just from a soulful standpoint and a creative standpoint, it's important. But from a discovery standpoint, um, it, it's great when you get other authors recommending your book, uh, you know, and who are trusting the community. It's totally a hack, but I don't think you need to be spending time networking with people individually. Instead, I would join a community of existing authors um, in your subgenre. And if not, you could potentially build it if you want to. But if not, just interact with CUNY and you'll meet people that way. And won't have to feel so networky because it's all about building relationships and friendships with fellow people who love the same stories you do. Okay, okay, wow. Uh, this Q&A was intense and we're at the last question now. Um, I somehow have been talking for almost an hour and a half straight, which I don't know if that says uh, a good or a bad thing about me, but Farina, Farina, I'm a slow writer with a small backlist. Which tier should I create to keep my subscribers interested and not to burn myself out? I haven't started my description yet because I get the impression it's all about speedy turnaround to keep the subscribers happy. I totally get where you're coming from, like a million percent, especially when you see a lot of top authors and how much they're writing in subscriptions. But I don't see it necessarily being true. I think having a CUNY with a purpose is so important. And I'm going to highlight someone who I really admire. You're, I hope you're listening. Brian. Brian Hughes. He's in the CUNY. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful author. And he's creating, he's just getting started. He doesn't have a backlist. I will not classify him as a faster slow writer because I'm always confused by the definition of what a slow writer is. So I, I won't, I'm not putting the label on Brian. Brian's a, an awesome writer is what Brian is. She's like, you're an awesome writer, Brian. But he's just getting started. There's so no backlist. And he already has five paid subscribers. That's a really good start. And his lowest tier is $5.99. So you can see he's already making, you know, the run rate's hundred dollars a year now in his subscription. He's just getting started, and it's not like he's spending hundred dollars in ads to do that. That's just happening organically. Now, how is he doing that? Because it's not just happening organically. That was that was like the words that we all cringe and be like, Michael, why did you say that's not true? It's not. It's not. He actually has built an audience with deep intentional morality focused on anxiety and depression, mental health, and he writes fiction. But that's kind of like the core of what he's bringing people together around. And they're going to be talking about that in his community. He's not like a therapist or providing nonfiction content, but it's just a lot of that is what readers escape when they come to his stories and also what they try and get more insight around um, for themselves. And that mission and purpose keeps people grounded, wanting to support him, and also provides vibrant discussions in his community that people want to be part of. So I think, you know, if you going to Becca Symes kind of models of publishing, if maybe you're not a content driven author, where you're not gonna be publishing content all the time, that isn't your, your kind of mode, then you want to either be focused on something that's world building based, which works for certain genres, sci-fi and fantasy, especially well, where you're going to be immersing readers in the character art, the maps, the lore, and all these sorts of things, which can be good things to offer. Or you would want to immerse them in the community, which could be based around your personality or it can be based around a mission or a passion like Brian's doing. I hope that's helpful. 
this was awesome. I think this is a pretty clean cut. We almost always edit our podcast, but I want to get this one out now because this is an important conversation with Kuni and because I was inspired and I knew that uh, there was no other recording time in my week except for like, it's almost 2 a.m. now. Uh, so this is when I had recording time. So we did it. Um, I, hope, I hope it was enjoyable. Um, I will admit it's probably the latest I've filmed a podcast ever, um, but I also hope it was one of the most useful ones we filmed ever. Um, you all are the best. This is an amazing community. And like, it, it's a little bit scary talking about it, honestly, like the KU and subscription thing, because I believe in it so much, but I don't ever want to make anyone feel like this subscriptions are the only way either. Because something so core about subscriptions is being accepting of different approaches, different genres, and all working towards how we can build a sustainable career for ourselves. That's what this ultimately comes down to, building a sustainable career for yourself. And I think subscriptions can play a very valuable role in it for a lot of authors, and that it's a very underlooked thing by many KU authors. And if you're a KU author and you want to learn more about subscriptions, then you should join this Facebook group, Subscriptions for Authors. You should sign up for our mailing list. You'll get a free book. And we have a ton of other content on our website, subscriptionsforauthors.com. Otherwise, if you want to chat with me, ask a question in the comments. I would love if you share this with a friend. We do our best to create the absolute best content in the world about subscriptions for authors. And I am unbelievably confident that we do that. And you all help us in doing that every single week by asking amazing questions to CUNY, providing amazing answers. And hey, we kind of collab in this podcast together. So shout out to everyone in the Facebook group. But with all that said, this podcast grows when people share it, when people share it. And we have a lot of amazing episodes planned. And some of the episodes we already filmed, in fact, almost all of them really are groundbreaking if you're not into this stuff already in terms of how you think about publishing. So share this with a friend who you think needs to hear it, who you think needs to hear it. And otherwise, like I said in the beginning, authors are more powerful than publishers and retailers. That's why you rock. And that's also why storytellers rule the world. I'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning into this one.